Good morning, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion. We are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. And we are very grateful you could join us this morning with our subject being matter. And we will begin today with our morning prayer. I'm reading from Unity of Good, page 31, and Divinity and General Collectania. A next step from what Mrs. Eddy said to a student in one, page 111. God is a spirit. More accurately translated, God is spirit, declares the scripture, John 4, 24. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If God is spirit and God is all, surely there can be no matter, for the divine all must be spirit. There is no, no matter, no substance, but spirit. Stand there, know it, draw all other physical conclusions from this one all truth. Mary Baker Eddy. Beautiful, thank you. And the watching point. Watch number 35. Watch lest, because of the general belief that all of man's joys and ha joy and happiness come through matter, the prospect of losing matter in all its desirable forms before you have established the continuous joy and satisfaction that comes from communion with divine mind, cause you to neglect to work on the problem of turning away from it with any real sincerity and determination. It helps to know that even from the human standpoint, the so-called pleasures that man fancies come from matter, really come from mortal mind, and are largely anticipation. Man thinks he enjoys matter under the claim of mesmerism. Someone has wisely said, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. When one has reunited himself to the eternal source of all happiness, which is divine mind, from which he has never really been separated, how great will be the happiness that will flow into him, joy that is permanent and that brings him perfect peace, a happiness that is infinitely Excuse me, a happiness that infinitely transcends the lower sense of pleasure he now fancy he gains through mortal mind calling itself matter. The problem of denying matter is always made easier when we realize that we are denying not an external material world, but the mesmerism which causes the external world to seem to be material. Matter is not what you see, but the way you see it. End quote. Okay, comments on that. Oh, I love the part where it says it's not the world, material world you're denying, but the mesmerism. <laughs> yes. That was really helpful. Yeah, the, the part where it talks about being largely anticipation, it reminded me of 
you know, Christmases with the kids when they were younger, really looking forward to those toys. And within a week or so, they didn't matter anymore. It was just the anticipation that was the draw, I guess. That's very true. Well, yeah, we must never get enamored with the the goose brings the eggs. So we get enamored with the eggs, forget the goose. It's God, the giver of all good. And we see these material things as something wonderful. And then we forget what's behind it. I, I didn't take time to look for the quote, but you probably remember somewhere Mrs. Eddy says that to see the source of all good as God every moment of every day will do more for you than anything else can. I think somewhere in the blue book, uh, she says, don't look at things, yeah. look at spirit. Yes. Um, and I don't remember exactly where that is, but I, I've thought about that a lot. Am I looking at birds, flowers, trees, chairs, tables, or is it the thought? that really, you know, the, the source of it that I'm really looking at. Yes. At the end of the session, we, we will read from addresses by Martha Wilcox, that scientific translations where she speaks of that. But it is in prose works as well, in questions and answers. Um, Mrs. Eddy says it over and over. Uh, yeah. We see through a glass darkly now. We think all of this matter is real and substantial. But in fact, it, it's, it's not. It's the idea behind it. And she talks about the tireless worm, great and mighty rock. Um, and this idea, too, you think you can't live without something. It's very, very dangerous to even say that something or some person because what are you saying then that's more important than god yeah you're making a god out of it and also you're not seeing the source of all good as being god um you know you're, you're personalizing god seeing it as a person or a thing that you can't live without well what you can't live without is you can't live without god <laughs> okay <laughs> that's you can't live without and God is ever present. So don't personalize it into something or person. Mrs. Eddie asks, would, you know, life without personal friends be a blank? And we were always taught here the word is personal. Personal. You've personalized it. That's what you have to give up. When Isaac, um, when Abraham's father thought he had to sacrifice Isaac, was a wrong sense, wasn't it? Yes. But what he, the lesson to learn was he had to give, he was willing to do it, which meant that was good. He was willing to put all things on the altar. And in doing that, it came back much better than it ever could. And, but what he lost was his personal sense that it was my Isaac, my child, my husband, my house, whatever it is you think you can't live without. Lauren? Yes, I mean, I th that's why he says it on the other side, that is our belief 
it's our belief that we are attached to any error that does it. And in the same page that I read from, she's talking to, I think it looks like Kimball. She says that the belief that scares you is your own hand uplifted against yourself. Put it down. So <laughs> it's really what we are seeing, as he says here, matter is not what you see, but the way you see it. It's always how we are seeing. If we are not seeing God, but we're seeing a material something, then there comes a trouble. That's it. There, come, there comes a the trouble. <laughs> there comes the judge. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And what would have happened if Abraham had said, nah, I don't want to sacrifice my son for heaven's sake? He would still have that personal belief, right? Of Abraham, I mean, Isaac. So. He would never have been able to fulfill yeah. his divine mm-hmm. destiny. Mm-hmm. that God has for him, that God had for him. That's the rebellion that cuts off your connection with God. I mean, you know, he, 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 didn't, he didn't know exactly at the time what he was, you know, what he needed to know, but he learned it. He was willing to learn. It's the unwillingness to learn about God, the unwillingness to grow that is the danger and i've read both of them yes 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 to fulfill their divine destinies go ahead Mm -hmm. i think it shows that they they were both at one with god there's no separation there thank you yes that's right and you know you do someone or something a great disservice when you say you can't live without them because you're you're binding them with bonds Putting them on a pedestal that they can't live on. They can't. They they can't be God. So don't make a god of them. <laughs> yeah, the pedestal of slavery, really, a bondage. Pedestal. <laughs> it's a bad signal if you feel that way. I used to feel that way about my mother. I've told people that, but um, and my mother passed on at a very early age, really, and I had to learn. Yes, I could live without her, and and it wasn't. Um, was the goodness she expressed, which is God, and that is ever with me. Can't be separated from that. And so I, those are lessons. Go ahead. And, and I could see it as Mrs. Uh, as breaking the first commandment when we put something before God. And Absolutely. It, like you said, not that he's going to do something bad, but, but that we're willing. And I keep reading footsteps where Mrs. Eddie would make a decision, thinking it was what God wanted, the best decision. But just like Abraham, she at the end, she said, oh, we got to do this way instead. And she changed and, and then do it that way. But the whole idea was that she was willing to, to be directed by God mm-hmm. as uh, they were. And then they came up with the right answer. Yes. Yeah. And look at all that she seemed to have given up. You know, home, family, that which she thought was dearest, husbands, children. But it it counted, she said, counted all as, you know, nothing compared to what she gained in her understanding of of God and her growth. Um, There's a hymn that was going through my head all week because of this lesson. It's 123. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. 
What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who to God for your refuge have fled? Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God, I will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my gracious omnipotent hand. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy goal to refine. Ah, I know I was choosing that for the service. <laughs> Gary just pointed that out to me. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Florence. Yes, it's a beautiful. Oh, well, and why not? Is, is, one, is, is, is the one mind governing this service Funny. or not? Yes. A lot with yes. <laughs> I read it last night in Sunday school. You know, oh, well, and, oh, there yeah, you are. So I, I heard that. <laughs> Fiery trials, and certainly that's the three Hebrew boys, isn't it? So um, before I go on to the responsive reading, I just, because Gary was talking about rebellion, and, and there's something in the Bible about rebellion is witchcraft. And remember, a week or so ago, we talked about rich, witchcraft being um, manipulation, intimidation, and then domination, and how frequently that can be done to get you not to obey God, but to get you to obey a person, right? Mm-hmm. Person. So, and then it's interesting because Patricia in Canada, she sent me the devil's beatitudes, which you'll find interesting. Blessed are those who are too tired, too busy, too distracted to spend an hour once a week with their fellow Christians in church. They are my best workers. Blessed are those Christians who wait to be asked and expect to be thanked. I can use them. Blessed are the touchy. With a bit of luck, they may stop going to church. They are my missionaries. Blessed are those who are very religious, but get on everyone's nerves. <laughs> they, they are mine forever. <laughs> Blessed are the troublemakers. They shall be called my children. Blessed are those who have no time to pray. They are easy prey for me. Blessed are the gossipers, for they are my secret agents. Blessed are those critical of church leadership, for they shall inherit a place with me in my fate. Blessed are the complainers. I'm all ears for them. Blessed are you when you read this and think it is about other people and not yourself. (laughs) I've got you. (laughs) Thank you, Patricia. That was good. And yes, the fiery trials that we have to go through. But as that hymn says, only for the the, that burn off the dross, so the gold will remain. And in the responsive reading, it's a reminder, right? Um, Faith being the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then it lists. And if you go to Hebrews 11, there's even more of all the triumphs, right? Tremendous triumphs. So beautiful. And somewhere I read that someone as a child memorized that whole that whole Hebrews 11. 
and what a great blessing it was because later when you do go through your own fiery trials all of those victorious examples came to mind um it's beautiful to think of that and one of the importance of memorizing is especially when you're going through a fiery trial it causes you to focus on god the enduring the good and the true mrs eddie says hold steadfastly so when i went when i go through fiery trials and when i have gone through fiery trials very often i will get a hymn like 123 or another hymn and i will or bible 91st psalm i'll work on memorizing it because you're focusing on what's true and that shuts up cuz air is screaming this is wrong that's wrong sometimes it's hard to focus when it's doing that you've got to focus if if the three hebrew boys hadn't focused they would have been burned alive you focus memorize focus your thought hold thought steadfastly to the enduring the good and the true and then you will bring these into your experience proportionally to the occupancy of your thought now that word faith i looked it up and it's the assent the assent is to to agree the assent of the mind or understanding to the truth of what god has revealed so you're agreeing to what god is revealing and then a simple belief in the scriptures now you can be grateful if you're one of those people who can do this because some people in rebellion right oh no it's not true i don't believe it none of it's true it's all made up i don't believe in god rada 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 wudu 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 and it's it's not helpful to them and and to me and i i'm learning more about this but it's they have a demon a demon in them it's not their thinking it's not them but it's like the beatitudes the devil's beatitudes they want you thinking this way and and that voice will carry on and carry on unless you shut it up got to be tough with it this is how people become alcoholics it's how people get addicted to drugs all of this they uh excuse me they are listening to that wrong voice it's not them it's animal magnetism and they don't they don't they're not tough with it it try it will try to manipulate intimidate and then it will dominate and so many people who continue to listen to that voice th- think that it's theirs and that's the thing yeah they don't see it as an impersonal attack on their christ and the reason they don't see it that way is because they have rebelled against the christ they have rebelled against even wanting to establish a relationship with god i think they tell themselves that the people who choose to assent to the good don't aren't smart enough to dissent to it so yeah smart enough to to see through it or whatever yes <laughs> so, yeah whatever the excuse they got an excuse to rebel against the Christ um before we go any further i i read this really wonderful article 
um, in a newspaper about education, a tale of two dictionaries. And you, we all know about the 1828 dictionary. Um, most of you, if you don't have a copy, I mean, they're huge. We used to sell them, but now you can just buy them. Google postages so much. Or there's an app. I have an app, you know, on my phone, so I can look up words on my phone of the 1828 dictionary. It was the dictionary of Mrs. Eddy's time. And just as I read those other those definitions about faith, I mean, there were other definitions, but the 1828 dictionary always has a definition about God in it. Now, that you won't find that anymore, do you? You don't. Mm-hmm. Yes, biblical references. Go ahead. I've even been thinking this week how Shardell said worldliness isn't in the dictionary yes. now. So Worldliness. Uh, yeah. And it wasn't in there. Right. And I thought, wow. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't allowed yeah. as part of the normal language, right? Yeah. And that and the, Yeah. So this, this article says, um, it, it gives the example of the word education. And it says, the, the first is the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the definition. The action or process of educating or of being educated the knowledge and development resulting from the process of being educated. Now, that's a lot of gobbledygook. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then it has another example of another dictionary, which is a little better. But then it gives the definition in the 1828 dictionary. Mm-hmm. The bringing up as of a child, instruction, formation of manners, education comprehends all that series of instruction and discipline, which is intended to enlighten the understanding, correct the temper, and form the manners and habits of youth, and fit them for usefulness in their future stations. To give children a good education in manners, arts, and science is important. To give them a religious education is indispensable. And an immense responsibility rests on parents and guardians who neglect these duties. And cowabunga, right? <laughs> Look at the difference. The shaping character. Yes. Yes, and that article Florence mentioned on character, it brings that out, the education of children. It's by Mrs. Eddy. Jeremy put it on the carousel. But th- this is the type, I mean, this has substance and meaning, and, and it's helpful, right? The other one is just a bunch of gobbledygook. It's all secular. So everyone should have this dictionary. We'll r- raise this dictionary up to make it the one that everyone would go to, not this other stuff. Um, anyway, it, it's, it was wonderful. And then it also, I thought this was, this was a good quote in this article as well. In his famous 1830s work, excuse me, Democracy in America, the Frenchman, Alex de Tocqueville, observed the same basic truth, and it's important to um, the American experiment about teaching your children properly. He quotes, despotism may govern without faith, but liberty cannot. How is it possible that society should escape destruction if the moral tie is not strengthened in proportion as the political tie is relaxed, increased liberty. 
And what can be done with a people who are their own masters if they are not submissive to deity? Yeah. Children have to be taught all of this, or they they will they will be taken over by by despots. Despots, yes, it's the same. The, the intimidation, the manipulation, and then domination. domination. Mm-hmm. And they they listen to this voice of error, and then it dominates, and pretty soon we've got a nation on drugs not knowing their values, not knowing what made America great. And if you don't think a despot will take over our nation, it certainly will. It will. We'll be sitting ducks. In fact, it has started already. Yes. It's happening happening right in front of us, for those of you who might not have noticed. (laughs) Got a hand raised against itself. A hand raised against itself. Because when those children who have not been properly educated become adults, and they have so much freedom, they use the freedom for wrong purposes. They become selfish Immoral. Blankety blanks. (laughs) (laughs) All human laws must pattern the divine. Period. Well, and people who rule themselves, who have liberty, have to use that liberty for the right purpose. They have to, and they have to continue to be properly educated in the laws of God. Or, or they become imbeciles. I mean, they become... Well, they become putty in the hands of, of schemers. Exactly. And they vote for the wrong people, and they support the wrong people, and the wrong um, things that are going on, and, and to, their, to their own destruction. It is the hand that's raised against themselves. Right. And it's happening. It's happening. You know, you know it, God said, uh, six days you should work. And, and there is something to it. At least give me one day here. Exactly. Yeah. Really turn and say thank you, God, and thank you for everybody else. And and so I see less of that among some of the children. So they just just give them a little bit of time, and it, it will expand, sure. But it's a starting point. Well, and, it, and be, go ahead. Seems to be less work, but also less time for God. So mm-hmm. Yeah. And it goes with the devil's beatitude, the first one. Blessed are those who are too tired, too busy, too distracted to spend an hour once a week with their fellow Christians in church. They are my best workers. And what's that proverb about idle minds? Idle minds. Mm-hmm. And, and the Ten Commandments, they are not suggestions. There's a reason. God is not trying to be cruel with these commandments. He, He's looking out for us. <laughs> yeah, they give you a lot of grief when they're not obeyed. So, and I know it's hard with children, but you, we do the best we can. And as long as you're an example yourself, the righteous of this, the, the upright are blessed. Yeah, the seed of the upright are blessed. Yeah. Which is why our children were not allowed to play soccer on Sunday morning. Or go to some play or some other, you know, rehearsal or other things. Um, Sponsored by the school. Yeah, this is part of it. If parents don't speak up, who will? And yeah, your kid will be mad as heck and call you all kinds of names, perhaps. But 
but they will be better for it. They will. And all of you, I mean, I hear these stories from parents and, and the kids that are raising Cain. But if you stay solid in your convictions, they'll come around. Remember the proverb, um, train a child in the way that he should go. And I forget the second part, but it's something good. Go ahead. He will not depart from it. Thank you. Florence? No, it's in the Bible. In the Bible, yeah. I think it's Proverbs or anyway. So as hard as it might be, it'll be in their heart. Eventually, it'll take, it'll bloom. (laughs) It'll bloom. Mm -hmm. So, Jeremy, did you want to say anything about the responsive reading? Oh, yeah. I I had not looked at that, um, that book, The Comforter, Physics and Metaphysics since it was mentioned quite some time ago at the round table. And so, but when I looked up that verse, I just thought it was really, really, it's quite interesting to me how the, you know, the the matter scientists, I guess we'll say, um, are finding less and less matter as they go deeper and deeper. And, but I, I don't know, I liked everything she said, but I think the thing that really stuck out to me was that spirit is a, quality of God which man reflects. We are scientists using science, not merely religious sentiment. So I thought that was really really good. The whole Mm -hmm. thing was good. Thank you, yes. It's got to be active. Yeah. And when people, I mean, that's very radical. This is what makes us different from Plato, from all these other religions. This idea, we say there's no evil, we say there's no matter. You have to have the understanding behind it before you start talking this way. And thus, we have unity of good, which basically tells you to keep your mouth shut. (laughs) Because until you understand more of it, it's maybe not good to be spouting off these truths, absolute truths like that. But as you go along, you'll have a deeper, deeper understanding. And Gary, when he's questioned, and me too, with that, he likes to quote Einstein, right? Yeah. I mean, Albert Einstein, who was the ultimate matter scientist, discovered that ma- matter isn't what it appears to be at all. In fact, in fact, it's not even close <laughs> to what it appears to be. And, you know, nuclear scientists today are, you know, recognize that matter is not a solid thing. It's energy forces. And guess what? What's the ultimate source of energy? (laughs) Well, exactly. So, you know, he and when he moved to Princeton from Germany to escape Hitler, you know, he attended the Christian Science Church and he spent some time in the Christian Science Reading Room. He read the textbook. He had a copy of the textbook. He bought a copy of the textbook and he read it. And he told people in the church there, you have no idea what, the, what is in this book. He said, this is the ultimate science. And he didn't join the church because they required him to stop smoking and he wouldn't stop smoking. <laughs> Otherwise, he would have joined the church. Yeah, I think through his whole life and career, he's pretty sour on organization anyway. Yeah, he was. So. And, and, he, and he, he had his Jewish roots, too. I don't. So anyway, but yeah, I, I mean, it's not it's it's real ultimate science explains matter away. So, again, you take all this on faith. You can't be arguing with it. 
if you argue with it and have that rebellious spirit, you you won't get very far. And, you know, I understand that. Sometimes you feel like you need a good argument, <laughs> but you should get past it eventually and, and realize, this is Eddie said, what she wrote, she was a scribe under orders. This wasn't her opinion. This came straight from God. So you don't want to argue with your father. And she continued to study the textbook to, to her last day. Yeah. She studied it. Shardy? Uh, it taught, I was reading about Kimball and, uh, Mrs. Eddy, uh, was beautiful, she wrote a letter to him and said, you argued with me and were beaten and realized the truth. And he became a wonderful healer. You know, so there you go. There you go. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And I like that just one, one proof is enough to prove the whole, whole thing. Yes. It's exactly. One healing is enough to prove that you need to just quiet yourself and have the faith and let the other unfold to you and prove it step by step by step. Beautiful. Thank that's you. Good. Thank you. Just one proves the whole kit and caboodle. Right. Absolutely. And that's because impossible things can't happen. If something happens, that means it's possible. So when you get healed, there's something behind it that makes that that makes healing possible and if it's possible for one it's possible for everyone exactly thank you Craig. carrie sent me this most beautiful big folder of all the newsletters from a place called daystar which is a library in oklahoma tremendous history of the church and um Anyway, we'll, I'm sure we'll put a lot of things in our magazine. But there was one beautiful thing. I didn't bring it, but it was about Victoria Sargent, who had had a healing by Mrs. Eddy. And um, her daughter is telling about it and said it was through reading. And at that time, it was, I think, the eighth edition of Science and Health that she read. And Mrs. Eddy said, this book tells you how Christ Jesus healed and her daughter said, in searching for how Christ Jesus healed, my mother was healed. So, I mean, just think about it. It gives me chills. Here we have a book that explains how Christ Jesus healed, raised the dead. And as Craig just said, one instance of it shows it. it's the truth. And shows the whole thing to be true. And anyone can do it. It's available. We have that resurrection, um, the mind of what healed, raised Jesus from the dead after being in the tomb. That's still with us. We barely scratched the surface. And then I, I also read, though, about um, we don't need more miracles. We've had a lot of miracles. <laughs> what we do need is faith and, and trust in God because Look at all. And yet people say, well, I want proof. I want to prove proof. I want proof. How do I know it's true? That's why we read our Bible. That's why we read the fruitage. That's why we have testimony meetings. That's why we have testimony meetings. And if you don't believe that, then then be on your way till you get in a position where you're going to have to. Well, you also <laughs> proof that the other way doesn't work. So you should listen to that, too. What? <laughs> you're also oh, getting proof the other yeah, way. Yeah, the other work. way doesn't work. Yep. <laughs> so. Go ahead, Florence. No, she has said that mortal existence is an enigma. So why why do you want to know everything about it before you believe? Exactly. 
There's no answer. It's no. a rational. You, you're 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 trying to study something that ultimately doesn't even exist. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and there's no end to it. There's no end to its troubles. It's the Adam dream. All right. Um, Carrie did send me, there were two beautiful articles, but I won't have time to get into them today. One, one is about our refuge, just that our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. It's that refuge is available to everyone, everywhere, all peoples, all embracing. God is our refuge. And then also be still and know that I am God, another article. First, you have to be still, shut up that voice, and then know that I am God. Focus focus on him so now the wonderful story of Shadrach Meshach and as we used to say as children and to bed we go (laughs) 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 oh my anyway I looked up that image of gold how big that was 90 three four cubits and six cubits 90 feet by nine feet can you imagine 90 feet holy (laughs) that guy was real proud of himself Mm -hmm. so all righty well let's start with carrie and what you wrote on the forum Oh, sorry. Not, what did I say? Carrie? I'm yeah. sorry. Susan. <laughs> Carrie's not here. Mm-hmm. Susan. Um, I wrote about the amount of trust that they must have had because, as you were saying earlier, there was, even then, there was intimidation, manipulation, and domination going on. But they still stood strong and even though they were being cast into a fiery furnace, they trusted so much that they were able to go ahead with that and stand their ground, and God protected them. So I think it's equal to what's going on now in the world, and that we're really being pushed to understand this science so that's what I wrote about. <laughs> and that, that I love because it relates it to now. And that's exactly how I feel about now. And, and the temperatures being a little higher, a little higher, a little higher. See how much you can deal with. Um, and, and so we, we stand. Linda found this wonderful statement from Laura Sargent's class teaching, which we have. If anyone wants it, it's says law it looks as if there is a divine law and a state law vaccination etc if we believe ourselves to be persons we believe we come under state law there is only the law of god and whatever appears as another law is not the law of god and we are not under it state laws cannot interfere with divine good we are never under a human law Man is divine law. I am the law to every situation wherever I seem to be. Christian scientists, be a law unto yourselves. That mental malpractice cannot harm you either when asleep or when awake. Mary Baker Eddy. This is good to know, whatever your situation is. 
And I know we I get calls of people, you know, being forced to take vaccinations when they don't want to. Some of you have already decided to do it. Again, this is between you and God. We're not telling you what to do, but it's totally between you and God. Um, but if you don't want to and you're getting this pressure, there are truths that you can know and you can see how God works it out for you. And I have no will not advise but carol will i want carol to speak about what happened with her well i i work and um the company decided said since the president is pushing that all companies need to make sure that all their employees are vaccinated um they sent around an email and and it has a um a uh, request for religious accommodation that was attached to it so I, I went on the internet and I googled um, exemption from vaccination, Christian Science, and there's a was an article I found, and it said that there was research by Vanderbilt University that says that the Dutch Reformed and the Christian Scientists and a few lesser known faith healing groups are the only churches operating in the United States that have expressed any doctrinal objections to vaccinations in general. And that is a key to understanding legitimate claims for religious exemption to this current vaccine. Uh, it says your religious group must oppose the vac must oppose vaccines in general, not just this particular yeah, one. Yeah. And um, so and so as Christian scientists, we can be exempted. And uh, so there's no reason why we have to submit to it. Well, yes. And let us know this for those who don't want to submit to it, the, the clout in it. We, this isn't something we've conjured up just now because we don't want to take it for all kinds of reasons. But because it's against our basic understanding of, of who God is and what we are. And um, let's just all keep knowing this as we pass through this fiery trial. All right. Because it is a fiery trial. And again, this isn't to tell anybody if it, people want to take the vaccination for any reason, you should. I, we aren't telling anyone what to do. But for those, and I get calls about it, who are concerned because they feel in order to work, they have to take it. Let Just know God, God provides a way in the wilderness, in the mighty waves of the ocean. God will provide a way. There's always a way. Just keep knowing it. I've and traveled where I've had to, this is years ago, but it was about vaccination and I had an uh, exemption. Or, but I think, like she said, I like what Mrs. Eddie says about it. What are you thinking of it? What is your thought about the vaccine itself? Yes. Examine your thought. And and even people, if you are afraid, because a lot of people are Christian scientists and they're still scared to death. Well, maybe you should take it if, if that's your the if way you feel. <laughs> yeah, if you're scared. I mean, you've you got to be honest with yourself. You can't pretend to be something you're not. It's done great damage that people claim they're Christian scientists. They don't know the least thing about it. You, you be honest. You do what you feel is right for you. But in the meantime, we can be knowing these truths. And um, yeah, and, and, there, and there is a good article that we put on the website recently 
uh, from an early journal, I mm-hmm. think, or something, and um, about yeah. vaccination, where you know the it's where a guy explains what he says to people when they ask him, you know, and and he the main point of the article is there there is a better immunity than the vaccination, and I have it. And that immunity is God and my understanding of God and my obedience to the laws of God. That is a better immunity for any, anything than, it, than is a vaccination. And if you know that for yourself, then you're on solid ground. If you're wishy-washy about it, then you're not on solid ground. And, and you do what's best for you, and God, God takes care of it. Go ahead, Florence. No, no, I was just going to repeat, you have to be just honest with yourself. That's all. Yeah, honest with yourself. Um, and wherever you are, whatever, wherever, God's with you. That we know for sure. And, and God will help you. He's your refuge. And I've been expanding mine to know that all mankind is immune uh, mm-hmm. to doesn't sin. Thank you. And uh, they may feel that this vaccine has has given them immunity, but they have natural immunity. They do. And, yeah, and that that trumps the other. <laughs> it does. It's part of who and what we are. It's how God made us. We are immune. We're immune to sin, disease, and death when we realize it and and work this science. And this is why it's so incredible, why we have to be so grateful for it and study it and and love Mrs. Eddie more and love the science more and love God more. Um, Great power, great power, as was proven by these three boys in the fiery furnace. And Mrs. Eddie says in Science and Health, you say I've burned my finger. This is an exact statement, more exact than you suppose. For mortal mind and not matter burns it. Holy inspiration has created states of mind which have been able to nullify the action of the flames, as in the Bible case of the three young Hebrew captives cast into the Babylonian furnace, while an opposite mental state might produce spontaneous combustion. <laughs> so this is this is what their holy state, their state was so holy. It, it was a total protection. It couldn't touch them. I mean, they were so amazed. I guess the, the people that threw them in got burned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and as they watched what all the ties and ropes and everything, they all got burned. But their clothes, everything was untouched. And then they saw a fourth figure who was the son of God, the presence of, the presence of God with them. They were in that holy state. And that is what we can be in, and we must be in, and it will always protect us, always. Um, Carrie had found two, and it reminded me, um, it's a statement Mrs. Eddy makes, probably in the Blue Book, that there is no life in fire. And Mrs. Evans would tell the story of how, when her, where her mother lived with one of our church members, there was a big fire, and it was beginning to encroach where their apartment was. And she said, by knowing that, that there is no life in fire, it quenched the flames. It never got to her mother's place anyway, and um, and, and no one had any real explanation about it. it. Just stopped. And there have been, again, many other examples of this. And as Craig said, if there's one example, then 
Go for it. <laughs> that was story and Miss Delaney or Mary, Mrs. Eddie put in about the woman who wrote about the science and health that wasn't burned. Yes. Stopped. Yes. Thank you. There's been many times when the Bible is not burned. Absolutely. That was true in the, in the, um, Texas fires. Texas fires, yes, and also in in the uh, World Trade Center, there there was I remember reading there was a, a a podium with a Bible that was not touched while everything else went. And Mary, then, yes, uh, one word stood out to me in the Bible lesson on the story, and that was the word near. And I was thinking how when it said that the King Nebuchadnezzar himself came near to the mouth, uh, that would have taken bravery and trust. I mean, the very fact that he was able to see the vision of the Holy Visitant um, makes me think, despite the fact that the mighty men of the army already perished when coming near, he went near, so something caused him to have enough trust to go near. Thank you. He seemed to have had, you know, trust in, in what the boys were worshipping before, even before. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it's true. Yeah, they had yeah. demonstrated a lot uh, yeah. wisdom and so forth, and they had been promoted by the king. Yeah. They had been promoted to such a high office that everybody else was jealous of them. And that's why they contrived this whole scheme to get rid of them. And it didn't work. They, when they were captive, I love them because... They said, if I'm here, it's because I'm supposed to be here and God has a purpose for it. And they spent their lives proving that the purpose, I thought, was to cast off these pagan beliefs, overturn them, and prove that it's something better. Uh, so they start out, remember, eating it, not eating the, the eating gruel instead of right. eating uh, the yeah. king's meat. And, uh, and they just kept going on. So I know I got... Their life was a life of service. Thank you, Craig. And he wrote something beautiful on the forum, too. Thank you for reminding me that our lives should be to overturn any lies we face daily. Then we will have a consciousness of love that cannot be burned. Wow. And that's true. That's that holy state. But it doesn't, you just can't be doing whatever you darn well please. And suddenly you're thrown into the fire and say, hey, I'm a Christian scientist. Well, you'll just go. Whoop. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to be living this. <laughs> and so that was beautiful. Thank you so much. Absolutely. They, they met each thing just like David did. And then we have a beautiful article. I'll have to have... Um, Jeremy put it on the carousel because I don't have time to get into all of it, but it's called The Smell of Fire from the March 1920 issue of the journal by Louise Knight Wheatley. She said, what metaphysically speaking is the smell of fire, because remember, they didn't even have that on them. Is it not the remembrance of it, the sting of it, the resentment over it? The smell of fire is the admission that an evil happened. It means that evil has a history and that although the fire is out now, it once existed and we were in it. So insistently does this last argument cling to consciousness that some of us go through the fire and everyone smells smoke on us for years afterwards. <laughs> and when this is the case, 
can it be said that we, like those three men of long ago, have come through this experience untouched? It's a beautiful article, and she goes into self-pity and self-condemnation, which leaves that smell of fire on you. And there's a song that Peter wrote. He talks about, you know, the thinking about the past, the memory of it. You must really love it because they keep talking about it. <laughs> and we hear people keep talking about this experience. It was so horrible. Still have the smell of fire. We've got to know that in truth, nothing ever touched us but God's love. Yeah. So now we are going to end because... It's time, and Gary's going to read from Martha Wilcox, the Scientific Translations, which is very helpful. Yes. Scientific Translations. In the very beginning of his study of metaphysics, the student learns from his textbook that he is to exclude matter, Science and Health, page 123, from his thinking. He learns that in Christian science, the nothingness of matter is to be recognized. And he learns that every object in material thought will be destroyed. Science and Health, page 267. <clears throat> the student's belief that material man in the material universe is to be destroyed, often according to the accepted meaning of destruction, seems to create an antagonism against Christian science and a reluctance to conform to the requirements for growth as set forth in the Christian Science textbook, because he feels that he, with all his seeming pleasure, will be annihilated. But as the student progresses in his study, he learns that what we call material man and the material universe is to give place to their spiritual fact by translating material man and the material universe back into spirit. Science and Health, page 209. In miscellaneous writings, Mrs. Eddy makes the following statement, quote, Science understood translates matter into mind, page, end quote, page 25. <clears throat> and mind is here written with a capital M, meaning spirit. How shall we translate man in the universe back into spirit? We do this by knowing and feeling that spirit, mind, or conscious life lives in all things and as all things. All things are the spiritual evidence of mind. There should be a feeling of infinite tenderness towards the things of spirit which are here before us, even though we see them now as through a glass darkly. We can never behold the creations of spirit at hand so long as we see things as matter or illusions or nothing or try to destroy them. The work of a Christian scientist is to discern the spiritual fact of whatever the material senses behold. Only in this way can man and universe be translated back into spirit. As we experience perfect life more abundantly, we begin to view everything about us in a more perfect way. And as we discern the spiritual fact of all things, the material accompaniments, such as inanimate life, weight, density, solidity, finiteness, 
impermanent, impermanence, insecurity, uncertainty, time, and place will vanish from our consciousness and human experience. Spiritual objects are forms of spiritual thought, and thought will finally be understood and seen in all form, substance, and color, but without material accompaniments. Science and Health, page 310. Mary Baker Eddy. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.